Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Super excited about the fact that this is a special drop for Veterans Day. I'm so thankful to everyone in our country who has served. And so one way to honor them with Digital Voices is to have a special guest that comes to us from the military so we can focus a little bit on the military and just be super thankful for all of our veterans out there. So today, my guest is Colonel Nicole Kirkenbush. So Nicole, welcome to Digital Voices. Thank you, Ed. And I would also say thank you for your service. And I agree with you. The folks who have served um, really hold a special place in my heart as well. So, and I think it's especially poignant given that we just had election day and I always sort of feel like that was something that I helped protect yes. in my 24 years in the Army. And so I think it's very important. hope everyone went out and voted, whatever they did, whatever their choices, but making sure we exercise some of those freedoms. So, yeah, it is a poignant week. Yeah, we're both, and I think both of our families came over, you know, a <laughs> couple, a, a generation or a couple yeah, generations yeah. ago. We were just talking about our, our backgrounds and... You know, we take it for granted, though, right? When we're in the country where everything's, where we have freedom mm -hmm. and freedom of choice and elections and things like that, we take it for granted. But it's not like that in every country. And it does require a military. We're not getting political here, but it does require a military uh, to make sure that we protect those freedoms. So, yeah, again, just so thankful uh, to all the veterans and, and other people who serve our country to enable that freedom. So I'm really thrilled too, Nicole, because, you know, I was sharing that, I always wanted to be a colonel, like a full bird colonel. That's like that's like even better than a general. Now, I know generals outrank a colonel, but the colonel rank itself, that's the most badass rank there is out there. So I I'm, agree with you. <laughs> and I, you know, the, those generals, they man, they have to get political. Right. Bit. So I'm I'm kind of glad that, yeah, colonel was the terminal rank and pretty proud of it. And yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's that's cool. So I. Uh, the first time we met was maybe around 2009, 2010, yeah. and it was a Chime boot camp. And I, was, I thought it was so awesome that the military, specifically mm -hmm. the Army, would send their experts in health IT mm -hmm. to the program. Mm -hmm. And so I loved it whenever we had service members there because they brought a very unique perspective to the mix. And, and then again, because of my own background, having served, it was just always fun yeah. like to reconnect. So yeah. it was so great having you. And, and then we watched your career, you know, cause at the time I don't think you were a full bird. Colonel. Oh no, no. I think it was a major. <laughs> yeah. I think you were yeah. a major and you yeah. were just sort of working your way up and, you know, obviously you performed extremely well and reached that uh, position. We'll talk about that here in a second, mm -hmm. because the first thing I really have to officially ask you because everyone wants to know what songs do you like to listen to? So what's like on your playlist? Well, um, I know what's not on my playlist, um, which might not be the right answer, but mm -hmm. my son, boy, he's 17 and he listens to some of these rap songs oh. that I just cannot stand. So there's nothing like that on my playlist. I'd say it's a lot of country, um, except I do. I really kind of like Kid Rock, um, some of his uh, songs yes. and some of his uh 
sentiment. Um, and uh, right now I live in South Dakota and we have a large motorcycle rally every That's year right. Sturgis, uh, just north right. of us in Sturgis. And so um, maybe not what I ever thought I would be doing, but I enjoy going up to those concerts and hearing just sort of maybe whatever's on the playlist that night yeah. at whatever venue. So, um, but yeah. And then every so often I do like, I will say on um, Sirius XM not to do a commercial, but I like the spa channel. There are times when I just turn that on and kind of zen out. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it kind of runs the gamut. But um, I'd say more of that country and some of that classic rock to Journey and Kiss. Yes. And yeah. Yeah. DC. And so I like some of those concert tours they're doing, those older gentlemen. Yeah. Mostly, but it's kind of fun to reminisce. Yeah, it is yeah. fun. And I've seen yeah. some of those concerts as well. And mm -hmm. what I appreciate about the majority of them, they give you a full experience, like mm -hmm. hours long experience, like three hour, mm -hmm. you know, type concerts. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of fun. And then, yeah, all the, you know, kind of heading down memory lane. Yep. You know, a lot of people live their life with uh, maybe a mantra or some sort of message that they're mm -hmm. trying to give or, or a quote. Is there something like that that sort of drives you or inspires you? I don't know if this will fit that bill, but what I often think of to myself is have a plan. Yeah. Take risks. And it's all about relationships. Those are sort of three things that I always try to share if I'm um, especially speaking maybe with younger people doing a lot of discussion lately with some of our high school students in our area about the importance of, you know, having people getting into healthcare because we're seeing a lot of folks maybe not participate in the work environment as much as we need them to. So that's something that I always kind of try to impress upon them. Yeah. You know, it's, stuff isn't going to happen by chance. But there are things that do, and you got to be willing to take a risk, even if it's not part of your plan. Um, and then I really do think, you know, boy, those relationships with people are so important. And I worry that um, maybe technology has taken mm. that out of our society a little bit. Right. And technology coupled with the pandemic really pushed us to be um, maybe isolated beings. And I think that's not our nature. So yeah. I think maybe we've got to, and especially those high school students, teach them how to build relationships. They're really good at doing it on the <laughs> phone and looking at a screen, but that's not the same as connecting with someone face-to-face. -face. So I think those are really important things. Yeah. And I agree. And actually we're doing this podcast face-to-face. -face. So normally yes. our podcasts are done remotely because everyone lives someplace else in the country, but we're actually also with our uh, producer and DJ Megan. So Megan, you need to at least say hello. Hey, everybody. <laughs> uh, this is so exciting to be in the room with the two of you. It's it's an honor. Yeah, it's it's, it's so cool to, to have it all together. So tell us a little bit about your journey, your professional mm -hmm. journey. And you could it could be personal and professional, however you feel comfortable. But I sure. think people want to know, before we jump into some of this leadership stuff, I, I want to ask you about uh, just a little bit about your background. Yeah. So um, I actually um, went to college in Texas. I grew up in Colorado, but I decided I want to get wanted to get far away from home, which many high school students do. Um, went to Texas Christian University. And if you don't know them, they're now nine and oh. Horned frogs. Horned horn frogs. frogs. Yes. I think we're the only horned frogs. Yes. Um, in the nation. <laughs> um, but and so, you know, I went there to be a football announcer and um like some Ooh. freshmen, I had a little bit too much fun <laughs> and the grades were not that great. And so I was looking for a way to make sure I could stay in school. And um, I applied for an ROTC nursing scholarship, which 
wasn't part of my plan, but I had quite a few um, friends that were in the program and said, hey, you want to stay in school? This is a great way to do it. Uh, I think that the Army and the nursing program were like, sure, take a chance. This, there's no way this lady's going to make it because I had, I think, a 1.6 GPA my first semester. So wow. um, I had to finish nursing school in three and a half years because I didn't start out that way. And that was a lot of summer school. Um, TCU had a J term in January. You could do two classes in about a two week period. Mm. You went every day, wow. all day. Intense. Um, but it was a way to get school done um, and really uh, a great way to get school paid for. So thought that I'd do that and I'd do my four years and um, go on and maybe go back and do that football announcing thing. Yeah. But that never really worked. And I stayed in 24 years in the end and um, met my husband. He's a retired colonel as well, medevac oh, wow. pilot. Cool. So cool. um, we had two kids in the military. In fact, we're sitting in San Antonio. My two children were born here at Lackland Air Force Base when they had a hospital there still. And so kind of good memories in San Antonio. Um, and then when I retired, um, that was definitely sort of a risk and a little bit of luck. I sat on an airplane next to a gentleman who was the CEO of the healthcare system in Rapid City, South Dakota, where we chose to retire. And we struck up a conversation for some reason, um, which I never do on an airplane because you don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> could be a serial killer. Right. could be, you yeah. know, a Fortune you. 500 company CEO. You never know. Right. Um, but through a series of discussions, um, was hired as the first vice president of data analytics at Monument Health. So I've been there now six years. Um, I'm now in the chief nursing officer and chief performance officer role. Uh, probably not, again, where I maybe thought I'd be. Right. But take some risks and be willing to go with it. Um and so it's been really a fun career and a fun, I think, journey for sure. Um, I also have a sister who is going to turn 50 next year who has cystic fibrosis and will celebrate her 26th anniversary of a double lung transplant next wow. month. And so I think as much as I didn't, that didn't drive me to healthcare, I think it's kept me yeah. in healthcare because it becomes personal. Um, and I think we've heard that from some speakers here this yes. week at this conference. True. But, you know, when it's personal and you want that health care to be good for your family, um, it really makes a difference. So I've yeah. seen her struggle with things and said, gosh, can't we be better? Can't yeah. we do better? Um, so I think that makes it really important to me. Yeah, no, it's fascinating background. Now I have to go to Colorado for a second. So where in Colorado were you? I grew up in Arvada. Okay, Colorado, yeah, near Denver. So, yeah, just just north of Denver. So All right. Um, yeah, so we have a lot in common, actually, not just Colorado. So I went, I was, I went to high school in Colorado Springs. Oh, yeah, yeah. But you know, TCU, obviously, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm very near there, and I was on their uh, on their board for a while for oh, the business I did not know for the that. business school. Okay. And then I had a 1.6 GPA, so we're gonna give awesome. each other a high five. Yes. So I'm See, you can be successful. <laughs> yeah. All those young folks listening out there. Yes, it is I possible. <laughs> I was just this. I didn't know how to study for one, and then I was just a party animal. And I, did, and I didn't know. And all of a sudden, I, yeah, I've got a 1.6 GPA. Yes. And it's like, dang. And so it was a really, and then, but ROTC sort of not like saved me, but gave yeah. me something, right, to yes. sort of shoot for. And it's like, I can't have like a 2.0 and be an ROTC. I had to mm -hmm. get it, jack it way up, you know? And so mm -hmm. it really uh, helped me. Like, uh, it sounds like uh, it helped you a little yeah, bit. Definitely. So you talked about, Chief nursing officer and most of our audience, right? Chief digital officers and, and others who report up to them across all of healthcare. Mm -hmm. And the so pretty familiar with CNO. 
but chief performance officer. I love that. And I love the thinking that must have gone on behind it. So can you share with us a little bit about how they, how and why they created that position and some of the things you do? Yeah. So at the time that we created that title, it was just chief performance officer and I was overseeing quality. Um, We didn't have a chief medical officer at the time. And so um, needed somebody clinical to take over quality. And so um, I did that and I had done quality in the army and the nurse corps previously too. So that was a very comfortable place to be. Um, I also oversaw our analytics group. Um, so kept that group with me as I went from vice president of data analytics to chief performance officer. Um, and at the time, our CMIO, who some folks may know as Dr. Stephanie Lahr, yes. at least she is for another week. <laughs> um, I, it's public knowledge. She's yes, leaving yes. our organization, which I'm happy for her, but sad for us. Um, but she and I, she came in as our CMIO and we restructured IT and did that very purposely. Um, and then we also grew a uh, process improvement group. So op- we call it operational performance management. And so they um, have performance engineers. So created a lean belt program for Monument Health. And then we also have our project managers that work with our IT project leads. Um, but there's a lot in a project that isn't just the technical components. So workflow redesign, change management, right. culture, um, just keeping everyone informed, keeping people on track. So those project managers are really important for us. Um, as Dr. Lar leaves our organization, we are restructuring again. And so um, I'm a little sad. I'm a lot sad. I'm giving analytics back to the IT part of the organization, um, still have the operational performance management group. And then our quality group now does report to our CMO, which is great. Um, so we all kind of work together. And I think if anybody in healthcare knows flexibility is key right now. So you got to do what's right for your organization at the time. Um, There aren't, frankly, a ton of nurses out there that really want to do the CNO role and stay in IT. So I also am thinking about my succession planning and making sure that I have a part of the organization that I can have someone kind of take on when I'm ready to retire a second time. Um, And so I think that it will be good, but I'm going to stay still very engaged in the IT area. We're We're doing some big projects. I'm going to be the executive sponsor of one of those that's more of an IT project, but needs the operations partnership in order to be successful like most do. Right. Um, So, yeah, so I'll still stay engaged. And I I also we're lucky to be in an organization that, you know, if you see something that's going wrong and you think you can help our CEO says do it. Right. I mean, it might, I'm not, I'm not the HR expert, but if I see something in HR, I can go to that vice president and say, Hey, I can, I can help you with this. And we're all very open to that. Um, so I think that that is also kind of lets us explore what we think we might be able to help with and brings different perspectives. So, yeah, that's yeah. great. No, it's a great organization. We, I think everyone knows about Monument Health and some of the great things and pioneering things that you all do. And, Clearly, you're a key part of it. And I think they're really lucky that you and your husband decided to retire out there because, you know, you could work for any organization. You'd be hired in an instant, given your your background and your capabilities and leadership. So let's talk. Let's go back to the Army for a bit. Mm -hmm. So because a lot of people might not know. So when you so you graduate from ROTC, you go to active duty Mm -hmm. and sort of walk us through some of the key duty stations, you know, when you started and then where you ended up. Sure. I Got the lucky draw and went to Fort Polk, Louisiana first. <laughs> wow, okay. Mm-hmm. Did you ever? <laughs> yes, I did mm-hmm. there. Yes. So, yeah. I was there 
four and a half years, wow. even longer than yeah, most people. Yeah, extra tour. Yeah, well, I met my husband-to-be, and I said, can I stay? And that took about 20 seconds for them to answer yes, and here are new orders. So, yeah, they let me stay a little longer nice. than four years. But um, I was there and got to work in a real small um, what we call medical treatment facility. And that was nice because you got involved in everything. I helped write different policies, even as a brand new second lieutenant, I got to be on committees. Um, I worked with several physicians and nurses who went on to become generals, which was really nice to have that kind of connection yes. with them as they moved on. It was great to have some sponsorship at times. Um, and then from there we went to Fort Hood, Texas. Um, actually I love Fort Hood. Yeah. And so, um, the great place we call it. And so uh, worked there and that's where I fell into quality. And so I helped prep for um, a joint commission visit and that got me really interested in data and understanding that, boy, you can't just do your work and think everything's going to be okay. You've got to prove to these agencies that you've done the right work. Yeah. And so that really probably set me on that informatics path. From there, we went to Fort Lewis, Washington. Oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, now yeah. called Joint Base Lewis McCord, they've yeah. all changed, yes. <laughs> um, but we were there for five years and I did grad school there. So I was able to very lucky to have the army pay for two graduate degrees yes. and a certificate. Nice. So nursing informatics, healthcare administration, and then a certificate in biomedical informatics when all that was kind of just yeah. starting. So, um, and then from there we went to, um, San Antonio, Texas. And, uh, we said, gosh, Fort Lewis is kind of cloudy. We want some sun. <laughs> Well, oh, yeah. we, got sun. we got sun here. So we were here in San Antonio and uh, here for several years and served as a CMIO for the hospital, for the region. Um, and then from there, we went to Washington, D.C., mm. which, yes, lots of <laughs> politics. Yes. And I was there eight years, my husband wow. seven. And so um, a long time in D.C. But that was where I really did get to, I think, really fully commit into that informatics and I.T. world. Um, I was able to be, I set up our business informatics um, and intelligence sort of structure for Army Medicine. And then I was the CMIO for Army Medicine. I was the CIO for Army Medicine. And so what rank would you have been now as CMIO yeah. and then a CIO? So I was a uh, lieutenant colonel when I was the CMIO. And then I was a lieutenant colonel into colonel as the CIO, yeah. um, which I never thought, you know, I mean, I didn't do those traditional command paths. Right. So I was not expecting to get pin colonel. Right. So, um, but it happened. And then, um, then I was pulled over into the defense health agency mm. as we were restructuring and they still continue to restructure and try to really bring all three, the three services, bring medical together because medical care should be consistent and standard, but that's hard in a culture like the military where those services are so tradition yes. based on tradition and ingrained. So, um, but I moved our IT operation from the Army into the Defense Health Agency. So I made a lot of enemies um, <laughs> at that time. But it was the right yeah. thing to do from a taxpayer perspective, especially. Sure. Um, and then I got my last assignment, which I was very excited and lucky to do, was with um, the acquisition of the DOD EHR. So I was in the um, acquisition office under acquisition not under not under medical. Right. Um, so I got pulled over and worked as the really the clinical lead for the acquisition of Cerner, now Oracle Cerner, um, but worked with Chris Miller, who was the program executive at the time. And that opened all kinds of different um, opportunities to learn for me. And so 
um, really, I think finally we were able to get a commercial off the shelf, state of the art EHR, which we've had a long time EHR journey in the military, right. but it was the black screen with green text yes, and yes. function keys. And it, you know, it was not what we needed. Yeah. And so we just, I just was talking to a colleague, they've just finalized their implementation at their last wave and DOD has that um, now a, a real EHR and um, now VA is working on it. So, right. Yeah. yeah. And you helped, helped establish all that. It's pretty fascinating. We yeah. could do, I'm sure an entire episode <laughs> on that someday. That'll be really super uh, interesting, but you know, it just, it occurred to me too, that to me, it doesn't, it doesn't matter uh, male, female, and mm-hmm. you're just the, the Colonel. Yes. However, right in other pockets, it's been a struggle for mm-hmm. females to uh-huh. be promoted so, so it's cool about the army, I guess yeah. I, it's kind of an open-ended question, but you know, what would you say to our female listeners that, you know, they're inspired, they have to be inspired by your story, Nicole, and you know, anything, is there anything different that you would tell them to help them as they navigate? Maybe it's not as uh, progressive as the army was for you. Yeah. Any I really did enjoy that. And I think I didn't realize how beneficial that was till I got out. And I will tell people that I was a you know, I was in a female-dominated field, nursing, but in a male-dominated profession of the Army. Right. And so it was a different perspective. I do wish we had, frankly, more males in nursing. Mm, so, right. you know, I had the luxury of having um, almost a 40% male nurse population in the Army. But in the civilian world, it's still just so... It's that stereotype. And I wish more males would join nursing. I wish more females would get into the IT side. Um, And it is, it is those stereotypes. And you've got to find, I think, sometimes those sponsors. And I was very lucky to find some strong female sponsors, as well as strong male sponsors who said, no, you have a a talent that we need to cultivate. I did like the fact that in the military, it is rank. It is... um, you, if you're the colonel, that means you have experience. Right. Yeah. People respect it. And, yeah. and we all knew what everyone got paid. That right. was, that was yes. a whole other thing <laughs> that I found different when I got out and came to the civilian side. Like that's not transparent. So there's some good things about that transparency, but I would say, you know, find those people that you, that support you don't, not the ones that tear you down. And that could be a man or a woman. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that there's tons of great stories here this week even, but I love the, um, there are really positive things about getting together with a group of women and being able to share. It's different than being in a mixed group. And so take advantage of those opportunities, any kind of um, mentoring groups or Chime has the League of Women. Right. Um, so, you know, I think those are great. And there's so many women out there ready and willing to help. So I think that's that's a big piece is finding those mentors and mentees. And sometimes I learn more from the mentee than they're learning from me. So. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, I think that's absolutely solid advice. And it just I made me think, too, that another common touch point that you and I have is I did my training here in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. So I was a after basic training, I was a 91 Bravo. So yes. a medic, combat medic. So I did some training here and then I had interactions with aviation because they had to fly us yes. around and. Um, so yeah. it was all good. And then I became an engineer officer, but mm-hmm. I always enjoyed, mm-hmm. uh, my whole medical, uh, services core experience. Yeah. So what are maybe one or two of your most proud accomplishments while you were serving in the army? Mm-hmm. I think I will say probably the most is the acquisition of the EHR mm-hmm. that, that is a great way to kind of end your career. 
Um, but I think the other one that always comes to mind is I was an ROTC nurse recruiter for a while. Um, and just being able to bring people into nursing that maybe didn't even know that they could go to college. Right. Um, yeah. And I had the Pacific Northwest, Hawaii, Guam, and Alaska as my areas. And um, there was one particular young lady who I recruited into ROTC. And then when she commissioned, I got to be at her commissioning. Nice. And then I got to watch her progress into the rank of major. And um, I think we've lost touch now, but I think it was just neat to see that, wow, you can have the, that kind of effect on one person. Um, and I look at our workforce challenges right now, and I'm having to actually go back to those recruiting skills I learned. Mm. And, um, you know, it's it's not something that's inherent in every healthcare leader to to be able to encourage someone to come along. And so I'm very grateful for learning those skills because, yeah, kids today are just not thinking about healthcare. And and then for the last couple of years, we didn't talk to them about it. We didn't have them in our spaces. We didn't have the HOSA programs and the student programs that maybe we would have. So um, they've now looked at, well, I can just be a YouTube influencer and right. yeah. they're important. I think I'm not, I'm not <laughs> sure if they are, but I mean, I get it, but I just look at my two teenagers and I say, there's so much more you can do. Sure. So how do you, and, and I, and I think we're going to be really hurting as a nation if we really as a world, because it's not any different anywhere else, but if we can't get folks in that are going to take care of our, our older generation as we keep growing and, and, um, you know, be there to get us through those stages, we're going to really suffer from that. So I really want young people to consider healthcare as a, as a career path. And so I'm very grateful for those recruiting experiences. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I can see how those would yeah. definitely come in handy. And I, I agree with the, the points you were making. So leadership in the army, you know, is pretty intentional. And how has that helped you in the civilian career. So we're not doing yeah. an ad for the army and recruiting people in the healthcare, mm -hmm. although that's both, mm -hmm. we're both fine with that. We're fine with that. Uh, but I don't think people realize necessarily the leadership training that you might get as you work your way up through the ranks and how that would help you in the civilian career. So yeah. has that helped you? Oh my gosh, so much. And, you know, I, I really wish commercial industry would take a page from the military on that because I think your word of intentional is very important. It is intentional. Like if you were staying in every couple of years, you went to a course. Right. Yes. Whether you thought that was what you <laughs> needed or wanted at the time. But um, I, I don't know how our young leaders today get skills like how to present in front of a group, how to write a compelling argument on a one page piece of paper, right. um, how to coach somebody who's not doing what you want them to do. And so I really think that has been a huge piece of success for me is having had those, those leadership training opportunities, places where you could fail and practice. And maybe, you know, I remember doing um, media training um, yes. and yeah. boy, talk about me meeting that during COVID, for sure. um, and, you know, and you got, but you got to get up with a a simulated media interview. And if you did it wrong, it was safe. And so now so many of our leaders get thrown into leadership with no training at all. And then we say, gosh, that was, 
they were a great nurse or a great doctor and they're (laughs) terrible at leadership. And I go, well, of course, what skill did we give them? So it's something that we're focusing on right now at Monument Health, especially coming out of the pandemic, is what's our leadership training program like? So we just started a leadership academy. Um, And so one of my big things is if people just know a little bit about change management, a little bit about project management, and a little bit about how to have a hard conversation, that goes so far. I mean, so that's what I kind of focus on with our our nursing leaders and our nurses is how can we build that in you so at least you can take on those leadership roles. Yeah, that's that's great and and very progressive. Yeah, I don't think most people understand that in the Army, I can't speak to the other branches, but Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's similar. It's very intentional and you can't just skate along. You're going to have to go to courses. You got to have past courses and and the the teachings are super progressive. I always thought. We know before I took them, I was like, oh, it's not going to be very progressive, but it's like super progressive. And and then so when I look back at my career, I'm like I went back to a lot of the Army clock oh, yeah. courses yeah. and how it'd be beneficial. So I've done the same thing where I've I create courses like wherever I've been. And I uh-huh. sort of I don't want to use the word force, but coerce people strongly to take these, yes. you know, leadership classes so that they can continue to sharpen the saw and develop and, and yeah. those sorts of things. Yeah. And it, and it's always helpful on a personal basis too. So I was like, don't, yes. don't resist like getting this training because it, it helps you in life. So it's good Absolutely. stuff. So, wow. We talked about a lot of things and uh, it's just fascinating your career. And again, you know, thank you for, mm-hmm. for your service and continued service, right. In your, in the communities where, yeah. where Monument Health exists and beyond you're, you're, you speak nationally. I heard you on Sunday or Monday. And uh, mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's just wonderful. But we may have missed something or maybe something we did talk about you want to double down on. So I'm going to leave you with the last word. I think that I'll start with the negative maybe of, boy, we are in a tough place right now. Mm. And I think um, even though, you know, I, I came out of the Army and thought, I'll go coast in some civilian job for a little while. And then this pandemic hit mm. and I've said boy, that was two harder years than anything I ever did in the Army. Um, And as we come out of it, I think we have two choices. And you might have heard me say this Sunday a little bit because I see it as there's two options. We can kind of just give up and say, well, there is no hope. There's no solutions. Or I'd rather see us take that maybe road less traveled and do the positive of, but we have so much opportunity And I think healthcare is going to have to partner with many others to do our job. Um, You think about social determinants of health and um, some of those things that hold back our populations from really being their best selves. And healthcare can't solve all those things, but we can if we help others partner with us to do that. So it's going to take partnership with social services, with big business with Walmart, with Amazon, like what can we do to, you know, can we put something in every Amazon package that helps our population become more health literate? Um, How does Walmart, I I made, I gave this example on Sunday. How does Walmart partner with Monument Health and Indian Health Service to make sure that our diabetic patients are getting glucometers that they can afford the replacement strips for, you know, those are things we've got to do. And I do think there's tons of opportunity. I am also finally seeing my IT colleagues look for technology that helps us um, take burden off of the clinician. Yes. And um, I've said that for years (laughs) to people quit giving us stuff that we just have to use more of our time to make work give us things to take away the burden and bring the joy back to medicine. So I think that I would, you know, just say, let's partner 
Um, for those that might be listening that aren't in healthcare, how can you partner? We can learn from each other. Um, and uh, we've got to do more of that. And I think we've got to learn as well with our international colleagues, too, because this is an international sure, problem. Absolutely. Um, and we're very much a connected world. So we've got to, to come together. So I look forward to continuing to do it for several more years um, and then hopefully be able to do some things in my second retirement, maybe as a volunteer or just kind of giving back. And so. Um, that might be the way I would end it. Yeah, no, thanks, uh, Colonel Nicole. So I'm going to call you Colonel for now on because I just think it's, like I said, so <laughs> badass. And so thank you again for, one, being on our podcast and sharing your wisdom. Yeah. But again, for your service to our country and your husband. Thank you. And I think that's it. So thank you. As we wrap up Digital Voices and happy Veterans Day. Go out there and thank a veteran. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening.